Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Welcome to the Impact Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer McClure, and each week I share conversations with influential thinkers, industry leaders, and change makers, where we discuss topics relevant to leaders who want to thrive in the future of work. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Tanvi Gautam, a world-renowned leadership development expert. Dr. Gautam is a multi-award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, author, and senior faculty and program director at Singapore Management University. She uses a combination of head and heart-based tools for upgrading leaders and to create culture transformation in organizations. In our conversation today, Dr. Gautam will share her insights on the essence of true leadership, the essential leadership skills required in the age of disruption, and the intriguing concept of future fluidity. Whether you're an emerging leader or an established executive, there's a wealth of knowledge to be gained from today's episode. And while you're here, if you enjoy the Impact Makers podcast or this episode, please share it with friends or colleagues who may benefit from these insights. I would truly appreciate your support in helping me to grow the Impact Makers community. Well, welcome, Dr. Tanvi Gautam, to the Impact Makers podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you today. But why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are, the work that you do, and what you can help us with today? Well, thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. What a great name for a podcast, Impact Makers. And that's exactly what I hope to do with the work that I am doing with organizations across the world. I spend a lot of my time with C-suite leaders, their direct reports, Thinking about how can we create authentic, engaged, transformed workplaces. If you go to my LinkedIn, it's it talks about how we can create unstoppable company cultures and leaders make it happen. So that's what I do. I used to live uh, above the equator in the US. Then I live below the equator in Australia. And now I am at the equator in Singapore. Well, which is best, above, below, or at? It's uh, always a mid-path, so I think I'm at the right place. Okay. Well, you know, before we get to the work, you know, where you've ended up where you are today, what brought you here? How did you kind of start in your career? And and how did you get passionate about helping leaders to become unstoppable? It, did, it would take, end up taking the whole podcast, but uh, the, <laughs> the red thread and everything that I have been doing, because I began in the corporate world, I was in the, you know in consulting and HR, and then I thought I was going to be in academia. So I went and did my, my PhD. My major was organizational behavior, human resources. My minor was information systems. So I was being prepared for the world of digital transformation without realizing it. And then when we moved to Singapore, um, I decided to give entrepreneurship and my own work uh, a shot. I got disrupted basically uh, because moving to Singapore was not on the list, but it just ended up happening. And it's a great time to experiment. Disruption is always a great time to experiment. And so, you know, I decided to throw a pebble in the pond and see where the ripples would go. And, and you know, one thing led to another. And here I am. I think whether it was whichever iteration, right, whether corporate or academia or where I'm right now, the thing that has always driven me is, you know, how can we leave our workplaces our teams, even our planet, better than how we found it. That's something that 
I inherited from my grandmother who was constantly asking me that. It's like, did you please leave a place better than you found it? Like that should be your calling card. And I think it just kind of got, you know, embedded in everything that I do. And so I think even if I was not in leadership, if I was in, say, I was a medical doctor, I would still be focusing on the same thing because that is the essence of what I'm trying to do. That's a great kind of purpose statement for your life and your work. Well, why don't you tell me about the work that you're doing with leaders today through your company? And again, I love this name, Leaders Upgraded, and how you equip them to be more impactful in this age of disruption. Yeah, I love the name too, Jennifer, because who doesn't want an upgrade, right? (laughs) Whether it's at a hotel or an airline or in your life or your career, you know, an upgrade is always fabulous. So leadership in the age of disruption, which has been my focus of my work for for almost a decade, even pre-pandemic, because I was always fascinated by how do leaders navigate this kind of a landscape. So I just want to take a quick minute to talk about this word disruption, because we tend to throw it around like confetti, but like it needs to be brought down to a manageable framework because it's it's, the word itself is very overwhelming and it has undertones that make people think the whole world has fallen apart. And sometimes it, that is the case. But you know, at its heart, the way I think about disruption is it's an, it's an interruption of the known, whether it is known business models, known regulations, known resources, known environment, tools, technologies, whatever it might be. But it's not just any interruption. It's an interruption where our tools, our mindset and our capacity to cope And our resources in that current form uh, are not working. They're inadequate. And that's because the tools, resources, mindsets were meant for a previous world, not for the world that is emerging. So you need to upgrade the mindset. You need to upgrade the tools. And that's where Leaders Upgrade comes in. Because on one hand, it's an interruption, as I said. But on the other hand, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to reimagine, reinvent, and recognize, which is how I like to pronounce the word recognize. It's recognize a different way of being, a different way of thinking, a different way of doing. And if you go back to what I just shared, leave a place better than you found it, then your tools and mindset also have to keep evolving and getting better. So that's where Leaders Upgraded comes in, whether it's one-on-one work in coaching, whether it is uh, helping leadership teams think about how they're working together or it's organization cultures. It's a lot of bespoke work uh, to get into the trenches to figure out where exactly and what exactly needs to be upgraded in the team that I'm working with or the individual that I'm working with. Interesting. So did your work change or were you just in the zone during and after, immediately after the pandemic when everybody started to recognize, recognize what disruption actually means? (laughs) Yes. You know, here's the interesting thing. Because when the pandemic hit, I remember telling my husband, I said, this is prime time because everything that I've been thinking about, everything that I've been talking about, few people would listen to it with fascination. I mean, disruption is a fascinating topic. Most people want to hear about it, but it was always at an intellectual level. But now it just became very real. And it was interesting because I would get on to all these interviews and podcasts and uh, you know, people are like, so, you know, what are your thoughts on how do we navigate the pandemic? I said, okay, just stop. It's my first pandemic too. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but having said that, <laughs> there are some things you might want to think about as you're navigating this. So it kind of was like this 
crescendo moment, right? Where I had to tell myself, like, this is where we walk the talk. And uh, so it was helpful, if you could use the word helpful in the word pandemic together, uh, which is tough, but to get people to start paying attention. And so it kind of became a, a moment of reckoning where companies who had been hearing about this and saying, oh, yeah, 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 were actually like, okay, maybe it's time we really put it in practice. And so uh, I saw the translation of it become stronger. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are two, three years post the initial shock of, of disruption, which is the world is still being disrupted. But how has leadership changed? Are there skills that have come to the forefront as a result of all that we have been through for leaders or things that leaders no longer need to utilize in their toolkit as a result of what we've been through? Yeah. So I think that for me, I, I just want to take a moment and define when well, what are we talking about when we talk about leadership and has leadership changed? I think leadership will always be about one thing and one thing only, as far as I'm concerned, which is the job of a leader is to expand the possibility and potential of everything and everyone they come in contact with. I love that That's definition. You, That's fantastic. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you were supposed to do in the 1920s. That's what you were supposed to do in the 1980s. That's what you're supposed to do 2023 and beyond. Expand the possibility and potential of everything and everyone you come in contact with. Right? Now, what's different is the things that you would need to focus on to expand that potential or capability set in the 1920s is different from the things that you would need to do. Think about it as if you have um, a child or if you have a plant and both of them need care. You know, when it's a seedling, you're offering certain types of water and fertilizer. When it's, you know, it's a sapling, it's a different type of thing. When it's starting to flower, you might move it in the sun, you might move it away. Different things you're focusing on, but your, your main task is still to make sure this is a healthy plant, it's a healthy child, it's a you know, well-equipped environment to support what you're trying to grow. And so I think that there are certain skills that have come to the forefront of the, the conversation that possibly were always there, but at this moment in time have become heightened in terms of what leaders need to be amplifying or paying attention to. So let me give you some examples. I think navigating paradoxes, that's a big one at the moment. And that's because the contrast in the world that we are in is so high. So give you an example. The pandemic woke us all up. We're supposed to be talking about human-centric work practices. I don't think anybody disagrees that We were way overdue for that conversation, and we saw a lot of companies becoming very, very responsive to that, particularly in the pandemic. Cut scene, next scene is all about the layoffs and the restructuring that is going on at the moment. Now, how do you hold on one side the idea of a human-centric approach and the massacre that is happening in the corporate world, and it's not over yet. We we are hearing at the time of recording all this thing about, you know, the CEO of Citibank saying, get off the train if you are not on the path of where we are going. And it's, it's very jarring. It's very jarring in some ways. But both the realities have to be acknowledged, navigated simultaneously, which means you need to have that skill set that allows you to acknowledge and navigate that paradox. 
you have to be human centric and you have to be doing the restructuring because business at the end of the day is you know responsible to the shareholders but now it's also responsible to the people and the planet so navigating paradoxes is one skill set willingness to be a beginner again and again and again and not keep sliding back i recently did this keynote for mercer which was called the road to reinvention and when when mercer invited me they said one of the things we are noticing in companies is that there is a slow slide starting to happen to go back to how things used to be the familiar and the tried and tested and previously we were throwing money at say mental health conversations or um, you know employee wellness and slowly uh, they are starting to kind of like oh well you know the pandemic is over should we kind of but that's a slide back and i understand that i'm i'm not sitting in judgment over this because human nature is that right we we tend to go back to what is familiar and and comforting however it is that known devil versus the unknown devil right however bad it was i know how that works and somewhere so the ability to keep reinventing and being a beginner again and again is another skill i think uh, a third one is systems thinking which is uh, for me part of strategic thinking why is that a skill now i think because we have realized the interdependencies of the world that we live in i mean i don't know about you uh, jennifer what was your response when you first heard about the pandemic when i first started hearing about you know wuhan and the virus and all that i was like eh it's happening somewhere in china the chinese government can figure it out i don't have to worry about it i mean what was your response when you first heard about it I was same. I had uh, a pretty busy 2020 plan for travel and, and speaking engagements, and several of them were international. And I remember kind of like you, I thought, well, that's happening over there. <laughs> and then as I got closer to, I uh, was supposed to go to India to keynote a conference in April. And I think mid-February, 1st of March, I sent them an email and I said, you know, traveling through multiple international airports doesn't really sound like a good idea at this time, but I felt really bad because I'd never done anything like that. Of course, they ended up having to cancel the conference uh, and I was able to go back last year. But yeah, it started to, it, I guess the scope started to widen. The aperture started to widen as we got closer and closer to mid-March where it wasn't just happening over there. It was happening here. And I needed to think about how, as every leader does, you know, I'm, a, I'm self-employed, but I needed to think about my business and what I was going to do in a world that didn't look like what I'd had for the last 13 years of running my own business. Exactly, exactly. And and I think for me, that was the the starkest reminder that we are we are more in this together than we realize. I think uh, so, for example, in Singapore, we saw the SARS virus come around a few years ago. And I think that was fairly isolated because it was Southeast Asia. But the world since had become so global that, you know, ripples in one part, just with the travel and everything, it was being felt everywhere. And I think that's just the interconnected nature of, uh, of life and things right now. And so learning to think about my action here and the impact it might have downstream on something that I hadn't anticipated is another skill that leaders need to have because they are not leading in an environment that the number of variables that are connected they have to take a, a, a more holistic perspective of that. So it can't be just, okay, my little micro, microcosm and this is where I am, which is fine if you are like, you know, at a level of seniority where that's your only scope. But the higher you go in the organization and even with individual contributors and, 
and mid-level managers, you still need to think about downstream impact of what you're talking about. So I think strategic thinking, systems thinking, another one is, which is my favorite, I've been talking about that a lot, is actually rest and recovery. It's a skill set. We don't have that skill set. We don't have a relationship with rest and recovery. And I always, um, you know, but I have, I was, I started doing this keynote actually in the pandemic, which is called uh, rest and recovery as a competitive advantage. And human beings that have always been human doings need to remember to be human beings. And our ability to create and that relationship with rest, whether it is for ourselves, whether it is for our teams, whether it is for an organization. I actually think all this war that is going on for flexible and back to work and you know back to office, all that, underlying it somewhere is, is that need for recalibrating our relationship with rest and recovery. Because I mean, you think about it, we went through the pandemic and then we kind of transition we still kept working it's not like people really like okay you know let's take a few months off let's deal with what this is and now we are we are kind of on the other side and we're still where was any pause i think a lot of the pandemic i know for me and many of the people that i talked to because i had two businesses that went to zero within like two weeks and as as i said i kind of had to start to think about what life could look like different. And uh, a family member also had a health challenge and I had to spend some significant time away from whatever I was supposed to be doing <laughs> to care for my family member. But I think the exhaustion for me that came out of 2020, early 2021, was that I spent a lot of time trying to work, but not really knowing what I was doing. <laughs> In other words, I'd sit for eight hours a day or whatever it might be, and I answer emails and I do things, but I wasn't really able to comprehend, as you said, kind of that what needs to happen in order to mobilize and go forward. And, and that didn't really happen for me until about mid-21. And I was exhausted from all of the effort in no real direction. Does that make sense? Oh, oh, absolutely. By the way, that, that is still true for many organizations. It's like a lot of effort, but what's the direction? And so I mean, these are conversations we, we need to open up and start having. You know, it was fascinating. I was reading about how in some of the ancient societies like uh, Greece and Rome, the number of uh, festivals and time off far exceeded the number of days they were spending in the field, uh, you know, or, or whatever work that they were doing in production, because the, the aim of having created that harvest at the end of the day after that was to go back to, well, live your life, be with your family, enjoy, you know, everything that the world has to offer. And somewhere that pendulum has kind of swung in the other direction where we are living to work and not working to live. And, you know, I, I, I think that that shift in consciousness happened for a lot of people, but it didn't happen for some people. But it's a conversation we need to have. I mean, what did we come out from the pandemic recognizing if we did not recognize that we need that to build that capability to be human, be there for people who are in our lives, be that, you know, our friends and family or, or even ourselves. Because corporations can be extremely hungry when it comes to taking effort and hours and, uh, you know, 
think of all the high achievers I, 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 I coach. They are so emotionally vested in everything that they do. For them, it's not just another job. For them, it's like, it's their identity is so tied to the work that they are doing, right? They're pouring themselves into everything that they are doing. But no one's like thinking about how is this person, you know, replenishing themselves? How are they recovering from this outpour? But is there an in-pour part of it? And I always tell companies, if you're tracking you know, the hours at work, but you're not equally tracking the hours at rest. And I'm not talking about days off. I'm talking about when are, you know, how much time are employees spending online, actually, because that's the other thing, right? With the global world, I mean, even right now, it's it's 9 p.m. there, it's 9 a.m. here. You know, our hours have become so stretched. If you're not keeping uh, an eye on that, you're missing out an important part of the performance equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I love the skills that you've mentioned, but I think for leaders, not only to model rest and recovery, but also to put systems in place to make sure that our employees are doing that, even if they're not wired that way, at least initially. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week about you know, the topic was <laughs> around vacations and why Americans don't take vacations. And Adam Grant was interviewing a CEO of a company who's instituted, they take they require everyone in the company to take one week off every eight weeks. And they actually dock their pay if they work in any way, answer an email, do any of that. And I'm like, I don't think you can do that legally in the US. But <laughs> they're experimenting with this kind of forced rest and relaxation and this rhythm in their company. And I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, I'm self-employed and I don't know that I could even do that. <laughs> But you can, Jennifer, I'm <laughs> telling you, here's the thing. I started doing something in the pandemic, which was I started uh, taking Fridays off and I'm saying off in air quotes because there are still days on which once in a while I end up taking a call or if something just can't wait, which was the other thing, right? Because it created slack in the system. So if there was something that came up that absolutely needed attention or even a great opportunity, I actually had a day that because I had blocked it off, I could use it. I think my take Friday off and do like do life and not just work works about 90% of the times, which is a much higher rate than what I thought it would be when I instituted it. I, first of all, I had this thing in my head or I had these imaginary clients who would tell me, why would you, you don't have Friday? Then I had this scenario in my head, which was like, everybody wants a workshop or a coaching session on a Friday. And None of it is true. It happens sometimes. It doesn't happen all the time. And so uh, Friday is, I've done it. And you know, here's the funny thing. I'm actually thinking of blocking off Monday. Monday, I'm I'm planning on making it like a no meeting Monday. So it's like just doing deep work. Because I think the role of people like you and me is even more crucial than before. We can't join the practices that are there in the corporate world and change them at the same time. And so, and, and I think we need more rest and recovery than anybody else. Because... I agree. I'm considering this more vacation. I don't even know. I don't even know when I went on vacation. I travel a lot. And I do a lot of fun things, but like actually like shut down and go on vacation. That's that, that needs to happen. I need to make that a goal. Well, and looking at the work that you've done and kind of doing some research on, on your website and all the great accomplishments that you have, one of the, the concepts that I came across that interested me, I'd like to learn more about, was the concept of future fluidity. 
And so I'd like for you to tell me a little bit more that that sounds interesting, particularly in regards to the the skills that you've mentioned that leaders need to have in the new new world of work. What does future fluidity mean and how can I get some? How can I get some? (laughs) So it was interesting because this is a term that I actually coined during the pandemic. And there's a little bit of a story behind it that will help frame it um, for your listeners. So, you know, I was going uh, to see my family for a family reunion during the pandemic. And, you know, even as the plane was taking off, people were questioning whether I should have been on that plane to begin with. It was early March already. You know, well-meaning people kept sending me these messages with images of the chaos that lay at the airport and news about entire planes being quarantined and planes being redirected. And, you know, now there is this advisory. You just, the rules were changing so fast, right? And so everybody was trying to be helpful to this woman who was crazy enough to get on a plane to go see her family. And it was very overwhelming. And, And at that point in time, I just had to tell people, you need to stop because no matter how much information you send to me and no matter how updated it is, what I will navigate when I land will happen in that moment of navigation after I land. So when I'm standing in front of the immigration officer, depending on whatever was the rule that was instituted 10 minutes ago, And whether that immigration officer has heard about it or not, and if that immigration officer has interpreted it the way it is supposed to have been interpreted, there are just so many variables here that all this this information may come to nothing at all. And literally on that flight, I coined this term called future fluidity, which is your ability to meet the future the way it shows up even if it shows up in a manner that does not meet your expectation. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of mouthful. <laughs> no, I like it. <laughs> what it really means is you lead in the moment in which the future lands and unfolds, and you have to be prepared for whatever way is unfolding. Now, it may unfold in a way you thought it was going to unfold. It may unfold in a way that is a minor or a moderate variation or it could unfold which is like wait a second I didn't even think about this like what the hell is this but as a leader you don't have the luxury to say oh I'm sorry excuse me this is not the future that I was expecting so can you like change scene change channel no you still have to respond so that's what future fluidity is being fluid enough to meet the future the way it arrives whether it meets your expectation or not coming to your second question because this may sound to your listeners like, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's like a great philosophical frame that you've created. I like it. It's a cool term. But what does it need me to do? Which is what the real question is. And that's what you said when you said, how can I get more of it? How you get more of it, Jennifer, is first of all, recognizing that the paradigm of leadership needs the information, the data analytics, the predictives, the scenario planning, whatever else that gives you a certain sense of comfort. I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying stop doing that. But at the same time, you have to keep expanding your range of being able to respond to what is in front of you so that you are fluid enough to move to one end of the scale or the other, depending on what is in front of you. The trouble is most of us 
over-index on a style of response. Most of us over-excel at a particular type of problem. And I have some coaching clients who give them um, analytical, left brain, go make this plan, integrated planning exercise. Oh man, they're all over it. Like they're, they're, they're on top of it. Have a conversation with an employee that you're about to lay off in a human-centric manner. Now, no idea. Like they are at C. They don't know because they are over-indexing on a particular style, capability, response set. But a leader, you don't have that luxury. You have to expand your range. The more you expand your range, the greater the ability to be future fluid. Because now you are not. Because what is the opposite of fluid? It's static. It is you are in a frame that is unmovable, unchangeable. It's, it's like comparing water to ice. Ice is static and water flows. But if you thaw ice, it becomes water, which means we all have the capability of being future fluid, provided we, we make an effort, keep expanding our range of responses. And I'll give you a personal example of how I do, and you know, then I'll stop, is I will sometimes attend conferences or read books that have nothing to do with what I do. So, I mean, on my shelf right now, I have this book about fintechs. Now you might say, what fintechs? Like, why are you studying about fintechs? Because you are like leadership development and culture and all that. Yes. But when I immerse myself in that conversation on fintechs, first of all, it allows me to go back to the beginner's mindset, which, as I said, was one of the skills for the age of disruption. Second of all, it allows me to see how they are structuring their problems and their frameworks and their response sets, which I'm like, oh my God, this is such a great framework. What can I take from this and start applying it to where I am right now? So in that moment of the consideration of the other ways in which you could frame the world or the other ways in which you could solve the, the situation that there is, you're expanding your frame. And frame expansion is what leads to future fluidity. I love the way you you kind of frame things up for me. I, I think we're very aligned in how we think, but you've done a great job of actually being able to articulate it. So I look forward to learning more from you. So maybe to wrap up, I think I have an opportunity to learn a little bit more from you because you have a new book out called Deep Collaboration. And that's kind of how we connected about uh, talking on the podcast today. I'd love to learn, uh, share a little bit more about it, the book and what it's about and who it's for and where we can get it. So thank you for asking about the book. It's, you know, writing a book is like having an affair. It's so exciting. That's what I think about. <laughs> I have not heard it described that way. I'm looking to write a book this quarter. I'm excited now. <laughs> That might explain if I'll be writing other books in the future with great enthusiasm. <laughs> um, so, you know, companies are all about how do we innovate faster, deliver better, uh, learn uh, quickly so we can adapt to the environment that is around us, which is a great problem statement to have. But when you start doing work on that, it comes down to teams being able to work with each other across silos. I mean, all the businesses that are getting restructured right now and started restructuring in the pandemic, 
in order to kind of move up the value chain, they want, say, supply chain to be working better with commercial or they need HR to be working better with uh, the tech people or whatever it is. It's no longer about working in your silos. It's a, you know, I often say innovation happens at intersections. And so it's about getting people to cross collaborate across the world that they have been used to occupying in their own silos. But I mean, God knows we have enough trouble collaborating even within our silos, forget about outside our silos, right? And so people come at it uh, and, and they have their heart in the right place and they have their mind in the right place. But when they start doing that collaboration, a lot of issues crop up that they don't know how to navigate. So this book is, is about five crucial conversations that you need to have if you want to accelerate collaboration across silos. And what happens is people jump um, headfirst into, okay, yeah, fine. Uh, so we will go after this market and, you know, uh, commercial and supply chain will be working together better. And then they start doing it. And then the commercial people are like, why does supply chain not understand? You know, they, these guys, they, if they understood what we were under pressure for, maybe they wouldn't keep making these outlandish demands. And then commercial is like supply chain lives in its own world. We are the ones who are interfacing with the market. Like they, you know, so there's this whole thing and it starts degenerating. It can become very, very, very toxic. But if you start with these five conversations, you would have, you know, plowed the ground deep enough to sow the seed that will actually sprout and survive. I keep using all these plant metaphors because I think the times that we are living in require organic metaphors, not the war metaphors that we, we are very used to in the pre-pandemic world. And so that's what the book is about. Here are the five conversations. Here's why you should have the conversation. Here are, here are some questions you can use to get started on these five conversations. And so stop reading and start talking to each other. I love it. I'm going to, I look forward to learning more about that and, and reading about those uh, five conversations. Well, we'll be sure to link up to all the places people can find you and more information about your book and the work that you do in the show notes. But if you had to send people to one place online to learn more about you and your work, where would that be? Well, we leadersupgraded.com. Uh, ah, what a great URL, leadersupgraded.com. <laughs> <laughs> Jealous. If you're interested in upgrading, go find me there. And that can you know send you down a rabbit hole of reading blogs, watching videos, finding out about the book, clicking on the LinkedIn uh, profile link and connecting there and saying, hey, I heard you on Jennifer's podcast. Yes, and please say that. <laughs> well, it's been a great conversation today. Again, very energy. It's 9 p.m. at night, as you said, here uh, where I am, but I'm very energized now to go do some rest and relaxation and become future fluid and I've got some homework to do so thank you for um, energizing me and our community with how we can upgrade as leaders in the future thank you so much for having me Jennifer it's time for you to get noticed create change and grow your influence don't waste any time subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review 